useful to those of us who are married. I hope it's going to be useful to those of us who have been married. And I'm hoping that it's going to be useful to those of us who aren't married. And, and I think it's an important thing because uh, marriage and just relationships in general, we live in an age where it is very difficult. We live in an age uh, where there is all sorts of things set against godly relationships. Uh, I don't think you can live in our modern day and age without facing trials and temptations that work against your marriage. Is, is that true? Do you guys identify with that? So, so hopefully we're going to be looking at a few things and we're going to... Ooh. And we're going to be seeing uh, what God's take is on marriage and, and what God's take is on relationships and, and how we can do this. Now, I, I said to Taryn this week, I phoned her up on Friday and I said, you know, I'm not happy with my sermon. I'm just worried that it's coming across as really preachy. And she had a big laugh about the fact that my preaching was preachy. Uh, but let me say from the outset over here that I am not preaching as one who has it all together. I'll put my hand up here and say that I have my issues as much as any of you. Maybe more than some of you. Maybe less than some of you. I don't know. The point is, uh, if at any point you think I'm here going, I'm so good and you're so not, please know that as far as I'm concerned, you're so good and I'm not. So we're even. Okay, sorted. If you think about relationships today... Society seems to, to suggest to us that they're all about uh, attraction and desire and, and someone to make you feel good about yourself. And there's something good about that, isn't there? Um, Mark didn't marry Nadine and take photos of it because he thought she would annoy him and tell him to wash the dishes. Mark married her because he enjoyed her company. Uh, he enjoyed hanging out with her. Um, but, but society says that relationships are all about that. It's someone to satisfy you completely, someone to complete you. You know that old saying, um, hi, my name's Nick and this is my better half? Has anyone ever called their spouse their better half? Has anyone ever heard their, someone called a better half? What a horrible phrase! What a lovely phrase, but what a horrible phrase. Because it's saying that without that person, I'm only half a person. I'm incomplete. Uh, and I know we don't mean it that way, but, but also for those single people that we say it to, they go, oh, wow, yeah, thank you, you got a better half, I don't. Our movies, uh, our stories that we, that we watch, the TV tell us that if you don't have a partner, or to put it bluntly, if you don't have enough sex, you're an incomplete person. And you will be teased and mocked, and, and, and you will be thought of as less than anyone else. The problem is that we were not made to find fulfillment in another human being. We were not meant to be able to say that, that without that person, I am incomplete. If we, if we think that that person will, will complete us, we are in for a shock. We're in for a bad shock because, I hate to tell it to you, but, but if my wife expects me to complete her, she's married broken goods. 
You just have to speak to Nadine afterwards. She looked so happy on that wedding day. She probably thought, here's a knight in shining armor. And, and you ask her now, she'll, she'll say to you, he's a broken man with some fl- glaring character flaws. First of which is the docker's support. And now he's dragged her down. I, I wonder whether this wanting to be completed by another person is perhaps one of the reasons we have divorce today, separation, and even de facto relationships. And I put de facto relationships in there because, because it's, it's about committing oneself to another person as long as it works for me. Don't tie me down. I need the option to step away. And not have a legal tie to you. Marriage is like any relationship out there. De facto or not. You know, in some cases you might say, what's the difference between a de facto relationship and a marriage relationship? Or the one doesn't lie about wanting to leave if things go wrong, the other does. Unless it's Christian, in which case hopefully you're not lying. But marriage is like any relationship. Um... Even a friendship relationship, it's like that. And like any relationship, it is complicated by sin, by our brokenness. Uh, Just hands up if you have glaring character flaws that the person closest to you, whether you're married or not, doesn't know the whole story. Knows maybe a little bit. And it breaks out, doesn't it? And it, and it affects our relationships, whether that's friendship or marriage. Sin comes in and it introduces self-centeredness, selfishness, evil, discord, uh, uh, evil desires. And so when we come to marriage week, what I want to do is not speak about the pontification of my vast wisdom after almost three years of marriage I don't even want you to go away with the pontification of uh, Peter's wise words. And they were wise words, weren't they? And hopefully we're going to hear some wise words over the whole of this month. There have been people here who have been married for ages. Listen to their wise words. But, but at the end of the day, what we need to do if we want to look at marriage from God's point of view is not listen to me, who am a broken person. is not listen to Peter, who's broken. not listen to any of us, but hear what God's intention for marriage and relationships are. Because if God is the creator of everything, then he must stand at the center of everything. And that includes our relationships, that includes how we relate, that includes every part of our relationship with each other. God is king and he insists on being king. He created people to be his people, to be his representatives, to, to serve him. To, he, when he made them, he said, uh, I want you to fill the earth and I want you to subdue it. Basically, I want you to guard and I want you to bring order to this world that I have made. Everything is about God's purpose. And, and our relationships, even our sexuality, are to be used and enjoyed for the glory of God. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're not going to be looking at, at, at the state of marriage today. And, and to be quite frank, I could have said everything I've just said 20 years ago, and I could have said it 2,000 years ago. Humanity is humanity. 
But we don't want to look at humanity post the fall. We want to look at what God intends for humanity, and we want to see how we can glorify God in our relationships. And so the first thing we're going to do, of course, when you want to talk about marriage, what do you do? You talk about divorce. Now, I know some people here have been divorced. Uh, And uh, let me just come straight out and say, divorce is not an unforgivable sin. Any sin, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, can be forgiven. Praise God, it is forgiven. We had a wonderful verse up there at the beginning from Isaiah. Uh, Do you want to just stick that verse up for us, Corey, the very first one? Uh, It it says, uh, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud. Uh, I have something your sin I've... uh, uh, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. And so as we approach this topic, we approach it in light of this verse that God has redeemed us, but what has he redeemed us to? What, what, is he, what does he desire of us and our relationships? And, and, and so we're going to approach this by looking at the whole question of divorce. And this is not to put anyone down. This, as I say, this is just trying to discern God's intention for relationships. And so we have here in Matthew chapter 19, some Pharisees arrive to Jesus. They, they're trying to trap him by bringing to him this whole question of divorce. Now in that day and age, there were two main schools of rabbinical thought, uh, like religious thought. One of them said, uh, uh, sorry ladies, ladies could never divorce her husband. Don't know why I'm saying sorry, it's not a good thing that they could. Um, A husband could divorce his wife, said the main school of thought, or one of the main schools of thought, uh, for basically any reason. You burnt my porridge, written notice of divorce, I'm marrying that person over there, seeing if she can do a better job. Today's day and age, maybe it would be the wife accusing a husband, if a husband ever burned porridge. Uh, Even as far, some people... I don't find you as attractive as that person over there. So, written notice of divorce. I'm going over here. There was a legitimate reason, some people argued, to divorce your wife. The other school of thought said, uh, no, you are only allowed to divorce your wife if she has been unfaithful to you. And so they come to Jesus and they say, "Uh, uh, teacher, tell us. Uh, They're trying to trap him. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Yeah, Jesus, come on, you're all love, 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 love. So are we going to find out that actually you're just weak on principles? And Jesus answers them in a way that they don't expect. And and their question is interesting because their question is... uh, It's based on the implication that divorce is, of course, how things must be. Implied in their question is, of course, divorce will happen. On what conditions will it happen, Jesus? And Jesus, when he he answers them, he, he doesn't answer them with divorce. Did you notice that? They ask a question about divorce, and Jesus answers answers them about marriage. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, divorce is not the right answer. Divorce is not what God wants. And he goes back to God's original intent for couples. He he, he quotes, in fact, from Genesis chapter 1, 
and Genesis chapter 2. And he tells us over here, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So they say, when may we divorce? And Jesus says, you may not. What do we learn from Adam and Eve? Well, first off, you might notice if you know your book of Genesis um, that there is no wedding ceremony in Genesis. There's no Eric standing there going, right, Adam and Eve. It's a privilege to be here today in the sight of, I guess, the animals. And <laughs> there's no wedding ceremony. In, in the stories there of Genesis, there's no wedding ceremony. There's just God makes Adam, and he says it's not good for Adam to be alone. And then he makes Eve, and Adam goes, woohoo! And they're married. They're a couple. And I think it is more than just that they were cohabiting. Um, theirs was an exclusive relationship. Some might argue it was exclusive perforce. Um, but it was a relationship between just the two of them. They, they were there together for life, joined by God for life. And I think it's useful for us to spend just a few minutes here in, in the verses that Jesus quotes to, to see something of what God's intent for marriage is. And the first thing that Jesus says is that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And Jesus says, this is why people get married. God's creation intent is that couples are made up of one man and one woman uh, marrying, uh, voluntarily entering into marriage together for life. Uh, and, and before Adam and Eve are united, we're told that well, obviously God had to first make Eve. And, and, and the reason God makes Eve of us, as I said just a minute ago, is that he looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone. Adam must have been so lonely. Whole of creation. Walking with God, talking with God, hanging out with God, naming all the creatures must have been lonely. God didn't make Eve because Adam was lonely. And God didn't make Eve because Adam was only a half a person. God didn't make Eve because Adam was sitting there crying, going, oh, woe is me. God made Eve because he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And, and I, I read a great uh, article or a book or something which said maybe the reason why God looked and said it's not good for Adam to be alone is because Adam had just been given a huge job. God made the world, made this garden, uh, put Adam in there and said, right, Adam, your job is to garden, subdue the earth, rule over the fish and the birds and the land and the sea and the, everything. It's yours. You're my representative. And uh, like, I know how big the earth is. If I was to walk from here to here around the earth, I'd probably die. It's a long way. Can you imagine poor old Adam going, okay, where do I start? One seedling at a time. Adam needed a helper. And it's interesting that God doesn't make for Adam a companion. 
although Eve is a companion to him, he makes him a helper. Which, which does ask the question, if it's all about doing the work of subduing the earth and ruling the earth, why did God do this whole thing of men and women? Why didn't he make us like amoebas? You know, you know what amoebas are? They're kind of like, and they split into two. In fact, if he had to make another person, why not make another man? Without being sexist, men tend to be physically stronger than women in some ways. And I'll probably get into trouble for that later. <laughs> and I'm scared. <laughs> well, one of the reasons, obviously, why God made Eve and not Steve is that God intended for them to be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it, and God didn't make us into amoebas. God designed it so that you need male and female people to do that. And quite frankly, if subduing the earth and ruling the earth is a big job for one person, it's a pretty big job for two people. And God arranged it that two people can become three people. I don't have to spell that out for any of you. Now, not everyone these days can have kids, and, and to be frank, there is less need for gardeners today. But God's intent for marriage, at least in part, is for the capacity for children. And even that, we're going to see, has, has been broken by sin. Of course, the reason God made the male and female goes beyond merely the ability to produce children. When you have the coming together of two different kinds... Uh, male and female, uh, it, it speaks of God and us. So you remember my book over here that I proudly showed you all. Uh, you have the book, you have the cover, you put it together, you have something precious that you look back at. Quite frankly, it's a bad book. It's, I will never win an Archibald Prize for my drawing. But you put them together and you go, this is something that I need to hang on to because I did this. This is, this is precious to me. And, and, and the unity between a, a husband and a wife, it's, it, it speaks a little bit to, to who God is. God is three persons coming together into one person, and, and the three together form God, and, and without the three, they're just, they're just not God. If you understand the Trinity, um, check your pulse. I don't think anyone understands it. I, I, I read a good thing over here. Uh, if you imagine a bank merging with a bank, what do you get? If you imagine a mortgage broker merging with a mortgage broker, what do you get? What do you get if you merge a bank and a mortgage broker? Something new that can do banking and mortgage brokering. There's a capacity for a new unit, something different. A husband and wife is more than just two people, it's a new unit. Uh, and is it the case of suddenly they become half a person, half a person equals one person? No, it's, it's like the Trinity where the maths gets all weird and wibbly and becomes one plus one equals one. Something new is formed by adding two things together. And a husband and wife together reflect something more of their creator than they ever could on their own. 
And ideally, we learn from Paul's writing in the New Testament, a husband and wife relationship is meant to reflect something of God's relationship with us and with his creation. Paul says that, that, that this is a mystery, but when he speaks about marriage, he says it's a mystery, but he's speaking about Jesus and the church. And he says, husbands, love your wives as, as Jesus loves the church. And wives, uh, uh, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Jesus. Jesus does also say, uh, this might come as a disappointment to some of you, uh, another time when he's being asked a question, he says, you don't understand the scriptures, in eternity, in the heavens, there will be no marriage. Maybe one of the reasons why there will be no marriage is because you don't need a, 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 an image, a representation of something if you've got that something there. Marriage is meant to represent our relationship with God, but if we are in a perfect relationship with God, there is no more need for marriage. Marriage, even in its brokenness, shows something of God's relationship with us. Uh, maybe spend some time in the next week uh, glancing through the book of Hosea. Now there's a man who, oh, I would have hated to have his job. Prophet of God, God says to him, go Hosea, you're going to get married. Woo! To the town prostitute. Woo! And he marries her and they have kids and then she wanders off and God says, marry her again. Buy her back. And God says, basically, this is what I do. It's a re- it's a, your marriage, Hosea, is a reflection of my relationship with my people. Even when they are unfaithful, even when they are dodgy, even when they push me away, I keep coming back. That verse from Isaiah said, return to me, for I have redeemed you. That's what God says all the time. At the moment, there is this push on to redefine marriage uh, from a one man, one woman, uh, and, and it's not unexpected because uh, Jesus quotes Genesis 1 and 2, but the problem is that we live post-Genesis 3, which tells the story of how humanity sins. And sin comes in and it breaks everything. It breaks relationships, it breaks uh, intimacy, it breaks marriage. But I think our response to that question should be the same to Jesus' response to the question of divorce. Instead of arguing the pros and cons of divorce, instead of arguing the pros and cons of redefining marriage, we should go back and say, well, what did God mean? What is God's intent? What is the Creator's plan for this? Because quite frankly, things get broken. And it's precious. We learn from these verses that marriage is for life, this life. If God joins something together, then he means for it to stay together. And this again is meant to point us to something of God's love for us. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And... and, and, Marriage is meant to point us to that, the permanence, the the faithfulness, no matter what. The tragedy is that although God says, I want you to stay together, the tragedy is, is that we can tear things apart. We can tear apart what God has joined to life. And and you can have parents that can that can tear away at marriages. And you can have circumstances 
that tear away at marriages. And you can have bosses that say, well, I expect you to come and work 14 hours a day. We can tear away by focusing on my wants, on my desires, on my comfort, by focusing on what I want, not what is good for us, by by being all about myself and not you. And our acts can tear away at our relationship, our our, our, our actions, our, our inner life, our harsh words, our violent actions. God made marriages to last, but we live in a broken, sinful world where things get torn. And the question here that Jesus raises is, is the question, well, that he's answering is the question of divorce. And adultery, which Jesus raises at the end there when he's pushed. By the way, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says adultery is even looking with lustful intent at someone. So if you think you've been fine, maybe read Matthew 5 and wonder again. All of this is a result of sin because it stands in opposition to God's intent. They say to him, when is it right to divorce? And Jesus says, it's never right because God intended it to be for life. You guys have ruined it. It's broken. When life is torn, divorce is often seen as the only valid option. Because, you know, this this just looks ugly. So so I'm just going to take it off. And, you know, it's not the same, but at least it looks a bit better, doesn't it? But Jesus would have us look beyond the brokenness of this world, beyond the brokenness of sin to God's intent. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it together at men's breakfast yesterday. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept. Sorry, our Father who is in the heavens, may your name be kept holy. May your will be done. Can we finish the prayer now? Because I'm about to go divorce. Or, may your will be done, Father. Ooh, that's nice. If we're serious about being apprentices of Jesus, if we're serious about may your will be done, then a follower of Jesus, when it comes to a broken, torn thing like this, he's not going to say, tear it up, throw it away, destroy it. He's going to say, no, I, I belong to the God who has given us reconciliation who has said I've redeemed you. I belong, to, I belong to the God who has said I want you to I want you to share in my ministry of reconciliation. It's not always easy. I can't always get the sticky tape off. Reconciliation is is not always possible. And it certainly doesn't mean being a doormat. But it comes from an attitude of saying, as, as far as it is possible from my side, I want this, I want my life, I want my relationship to reflect what God intends, not just my brokenness, not just the brokenness of the other person in this. I mean, if you think, as I said to you, the story of Hosea, time and again, 
God said, Hosea, go. Be with your wife again. Take her back. This is what I do. My people are unfaithful to me and I take them back. It might not always be easy and it might not be possible. Uh, It takes two parties to reconcile. But I, I think someone who wants to follow Jesus should always be on about seeking reconciliation and never be on about seeking divorce. Now, I'm not saying stay in an unhealthy situation because I know there have been people in the past who have been told, well, suck it up, you're married, ha! I'm not saying that at all. Jesus himself says, you know what? There is hardness of heart, there is brokenness, but as a Christian we should be saying, we want our lives, our relationship to reflect God's intent. And for my part, I'm going to do all that I can to see that that happen. You might say to me, or you might have someone say to you, Nick, my marriage is impossible. I don't find the person attractive. They don't find me attractive. Our lives, frankly, are unfulfilled. They are evil. I lust after this. I think Jesus would answer and say, Work on it. Like it or not, God has joined you together and actually you chose that. So work on nourishing it, growing your marriage. Proverbs uh, chapter 5 verse 18, delight in the wife of your youth. Wives, delight in the husband of your youth. And if, like Jim and Margaret, you got married at an older age, delight in the wife of your middle age. Or the husband of your middle age. My first uh, wedding I conducted was for an older couple, which is wonderful. Now, as I said at the beginning, I, I don't want to come across as preachy because I know that life is complicated and I know that life is difficult and I know that life is awkward and I know that, that just sin affects everywhere. And good news is there's grace. I need lots and lots of grace. You need lots and lots of grace. We all need lots of grace. And Jesus died to save us, to forgive us. He died to destroy sin and death. He he died to destroy even sin in our relationships. And in Matthew, Jesus seems to make an exception for adultery. Um, But I don't think he's saying, well, that's okay, you can divorce then. I think Jesus is recognizing the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity and he's saying, let grace reign. Jesus makes us right with God. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And and, and that's what he says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and as good Christians we go, yes, that means reconciling people to God. Yes, it means reconciling people to God, but, but if we are about reconciling people to God, then why not do that in our relationships as well? Yes, that person has done a horrible thing perhaps. Or yes, here I am, but reconciliation is what God is all about.
Be reconciled to God, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, is what our message is. And that's a message we need to hear. Live as God being our king. Everywhere, including in our marriages and relationships. And there is a tension here between the ideal where Jesus goes back and says, what was God's plan? What did God intend when he made people? But, and, and he says, yes, well, you know, there is this, this thing. I, I understand that, that marriages get torn. And we're going to find out in other chapters uh, when we come in, in, in weeks to come that, that there are some times when divorce just happens. But Paul's quite explicit when he addresses this. He says, if you're a Christian married to a non-Christian, Don't you divorce them for that reason. If they want to divorce you, go. That's fine. But as a Christian, we want God's will to be done. We want to serve God. Does this sound tough? Does this sound preachy? Does this sound to those of you who have had really difficult marriages or really difficult situations as if I'm just a young bloke who doesn't know what he's talking about. I get it. You know what, if you listen to this and go, Nick, life's more complicated than that. Then we're not alone with that answer because look at Jesus' disciples. They go to him and they say, wow, Jesus, in that case it'd be better not to marry by the way, at least one of them, Peter, had a wife. So he's going, oh, I don't know. This sounds tough, Jesus. I like the option of divorcing her if she burns the porridge. Maybe not to that extreme, but they're like, Jesus, this is complicated what you're saying. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, it, it's not easy. Not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Is Jesus saying, if you can accept that divorce shouldn't happen, then, you know, don't divorce. But if you can't accept it, then go for it. No, I think Jesus is saying, either you accept that this is what God intends, or if you can't accept it, don't get married. It's a tough call. Sinners trying to follow God in an evil world is always going to be tough. what is Jesus saying over here? He's saying that that as far as God is concerned, if you get married to someone, that is for life. Now, I know that there are people here who have married more than once. Peter, you said to us, this is your second marriage. And and Jesus points back to, to Genesis and and the way a husband and wife and that permanence of that relationship is meant to point to God. If you have divorced and remarried, if you have committed adultery, if you have just looked wrongly at another person, there is good news. What Jesus says, this is what God intends. If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, as much as you can. Yeah, as far as you are concerned, do all you can to practice the ministry of reconciliation. And I get it. It's complicated. And, and there are some people who have had divorce foisted upon them. Some people where, where their marriage has been torn up and destroyed to the point where no amount of sticky tape can put it together again. But I think the Christian response is always to say, let's get more sticky tape. If the other person says no, they say no. It's a nice looking cover, isn't it? Beautiful artwork. It's a bit torn, it's a bit battered, it's a bit bruised. It's got sticky tape all over it. Maybe some people have got brand new dust covers on their lives. I'm sorry if you object to your spouse being called a dust cover. I'm willing to bet that that dust cover has got some sticky tape on it as well. In fact, if you think about your life, you've either got lots and lots of tears or you've got lots and lots of sticky tape. And you've probably got a combination. Jesus says the intent is for it to be a beautiful, clean dust cover, joining together with a book, making something new and memorable and precious. In this world that is broken by sin, there's brokenness. That's why Jesus came. Jesus says, I want to be king. If you want to follow me, follow me. And when you mess up, come to me and I've dealt with it. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Now as Graham pointed out, this is a photocopy of my, of my dust cover. The original Pam snuck into her bag because I didn't want to tear it up. And it's stupid. You know what? It is stupid, isn't it? It's a horrible picture drawn in a... I'm not going to tear this one. It's a stupid, horrible picture. Very inept. And yet there's a little bit precious, isn't it? And I didn't want to tear it. I pray that God makes us have that attitude about our marriages, about our relationships. When there's something that tempts us to tear whether that is inappropriate thoughts, inappropriate actions, inappropriate words. I hope we look at our relationships and we go, it's precious. God made it precious. I want to keep it that way. You know what? Even if you do have the sticky tape, If I kept this cover on the book in 20 years' time, wouldn't there be some stories? Yeah, that's, that's the time I had that really big fight. But look at the sticky tape. Because we didn't let that tear us apart. And you know what? That reminds me that every time when I push God away, He comes back and says... Let's mend that. 
we look like this. Not like this. But we want to look like this. This is just the first of a whole month on marriage. We're going to be looking at all sorts of difficult and complicated chapters today. We focused on marriage and relationships. We are going to have at least one week where we're going to ask the question, is marriage even something that Christians should do? Which is going to be an interesting one. What about single Christians? So uh, I'd encourage you to go home. If your spouse was here, have a chat to them about it. If your spouse wasn't here, have a chat to them about that. Um, I've got some sticky tape if you want to go home. Uh, Sticky tape Close his mouth. Whoa, there's some sticky tape needed right there. Wow. (laughs) Why don't we pray? Lord God, we are so sorry that we have become a people who tear away at what you have joined. Lord, a people who look at your intent and say, well, we, we want something different. We want something more. We, we want to find our fulfillment in each other and not in you. Lord Jesus, we tear, you do not. Cover our lives. Cover our relationships and our marriages for those who are married. Lord, be the source of healing and Lord it's messy and it's messed up from our side and from other people's sides Jesus may we be your apprentices in this thank you that you never ever let us go thank you that when we tear away at our relationship with you you always come back with I will not let you go Thank you. Jesus, even when your people rejected you and you spoke metaphorically about divorcing them and sending them into exile, you brought them back and you redeemed them and you renewed them. Thank you that you never, ever let us go. Thank you for your promise, Jesus, that no one who comes to you comes except the Father sends him and that no one the Father sends to you, you will let go. Thank you that you hold us safe in your hands that nothing and no one can snatch us from you. Jesus, we want to follow you. And we are not you, but I pray that in our relationships, and especially in those who are married, their relationships, our relationships, Lord, that, that we would reflect something of that stubborn ministry of reconciliation. Be the king of our hearts and our lives, I pray. Forgive where there needs to be forgiveness. Heal where there needs to be healing. Thank you for sticky tape. Amen.